So here then is my creed occur that the people called Methodists have an urgent and compelling reason for being for the 21st century. What we have to offer is an important and distinctive contribution to fulfilling God's mission. It's by treasuring our distinctiveness and focusing on these things passionately that we can contribute most effectively to the wider church. I'm not setting out here a new program or strategy, quite the opposite. I'm daring to ask and pray that we might devote ourselves to being reawakened by God's Spirit in our collective Methodist heart, mind, and soul. I'll press the case for us to seek a renewing of our church humbly and yet boldly as a movement that takes seriously once again the charisms and distinctive qualities that lie at the heart of our DNA, that sees the huge needs of people and the world and in embodying God's compassion and grace, we play our part in contributing to spiritual and social transformation. Two founding reasons stir me on. Firstly, and most importantly, my faith in God. God has not given up on his world. Secondly, and significantly, because amidst our enduring decline, Methodism is still full of faith-filled people who love God and love each other and love the world. Now, you might recognise the voice. It's actually someone you've met before on this podcast, reading from his new book and talking to me in this episode shortly, the Reverend Leslie Newton. In your community, the One Voice Podcast. Welcome. Really nice to have you with us as we explore stories from circuits, the district and Methodism in the UK. You know, sabbaticals and the fruitful reflections they bring are a theme that we're hearing with some regularity on the podcast. One such sabbatical was even the catalyst for a district chair to write a book. You can also hear what else is in store this month after you discover why a cafe in Northamptonshire is producing these sounds. Cafe M in the Western Fable Centre is a venture with ties to Emmanuel Church. Its outreach work in the local community is nothing short of brilliant. Not only is it this incredibly welcoming place with great meals and extremely reasonable prices, it's a place that also teaches those with learning difficulties all about catering and hospitality. It also hosts events for carers and people with a really wide range of, of challenges and conditions. All are welcome and you don't have to attend any church at all to be greeted with a warm smile and a friendly atmosphere. Singing for the Soul is their new and so vibrant group that's every Tuesday and this is their story. My name's Anna and I'm the Community Support Officer. We are trying to bring uh, people together out of the community or to meet, to sing 
um, and be happy, make friends. We, uh, we've got Scott, who is a volunteer, who's going to be singing. We're hoping everybody will join in with him, that they can have a little dance if they want to. Um, it's all about having fun and, um, yeah, and supporting people. Absolutely anybody um, is welcome. And obviously there's, there's a lot of talk, isn't there, recently, you know, about and, and proof of how, how good it is for somebody. It has an amazing effect on the mind, um, soul, um, and general will, well-being of, of people. Um, so we thought music, singing, yeah, let's just have some fun. And, uh, and also, I think it can bring back memories as well, happy memories, um, hopefully. Um, we are going to be doing requests at some point, and, you know, we're, we're just going to try and um, make it grow. There's nothing limiting about it, kind of all are welcome. You mentioned the carers too. Yes, yeah, it's important. Uh, We're trying to support the carers as well because it can be a very lonely time. It's a way as well of carers meeting other carers. We're there as well to to support them. You were saying to me before we started that um, you had a a kind of bit of a run-through. So Scott had had been here before, I assume, and what kind of music? Can you give us a bit of a hint, you know, what sort of styles are people singing along to? Is it specific or quite broad? Uh, It's quite broad. Um, Yeah, so he sings sort of anything, really. Uh, It can be quite recent or it can you know be 50s 60s a bit of Frank Sinatra the Beatles a bit of Elvis but also he then you know will sing more more latest stuff and as I said we are going to have a request book as well um, so that uh, people can then request songs and then he can maybe the following week bring them in because uh, we have all the words as well for everybody oh, yeah. so everybody will have the words so Excellent. they can sing along um, if, if they want to yeah so I'll be there just to to welcome everybody maybe do a bit of singing but Scott is the singer <laughs> not me <laughs> but uh, yeah so so we'll just be welcoming anybody that that, that wants to wants to come um, giving them the words um, and uh, yeah we did have a little dance last week as Ooh. well so uh, yeah, so you can you know just just let your hair down. Well, Strictly's on, so you oh, know, yeah. Might, might, yeah. <laughs> so this is it's every Tuesday, um, one thirty to two thirty, Cafe M, uh, Western Fields. Anyone needs a postcode, I suppose, for sat navs, etc. And the, you know, uh, haven't been here before. NN three eight JR. So I mean, I think really you, you're pretty easy to find in the centre, right? Signs. Yes, yeah, we're by the uh, the library upstairs by the library, um, and we are signposted for Cafe M and Emmanuel Church. Um, it is free parking as well. You get four hours free parking, Brilliant. so you can you can come. Um, and uh, we also have wheelchair access as well because you know the group is for people with disabilities as well, um, mental health, memory loss. Um, but absolutely anybody is welcome. But there is, yeah, we have got uh, wheelchair access as well. Right, Scott, we are now in, well, the performance is going to start in, I don't know, just in a half an hour or so. Yeah. This is your performance space, your auditorium. But, it is. but I guess it's kind of something new for you, really. It is, um, yeah. I mean, it basically started for me because my partner came in for uh, for the games on a Monday and then what had happened was... Um, she got uh, she'd overheard someone talking that the singer that used to be here had dropped out so i kind of got my name thrown forward um, hadn't heard anything for a couple of months after meeting up with them and then out of the blue they came in and they said we wanted my expertise so i was like well shocked what expertise i only sing <laughs> so here we are yeah and then it's just turned the tables absolutely it is that 
musical language, that universal thing. Absolutely. And it is singing for the soul, but you know, it, there's proof now, isn't it, of the barriers yeah. that it crosses? Uh, yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, the barriers it crosses, one thing that stuck out in my mind was, um, so basically, just as the COVID broke out, I'd literally started a choir on the 13th of March, 20, uh, and then um, obviously a week later on the 23rd, we were told that the, the hall was closing. So myself and a few other friends that are already into music are gutted. But what I found was more and more and more and more seeing it on the news that people were going out and just doing everything with music and, you know, just to, to give something back to people that is so powerful and every emotional level going is, is, is basically why I do it. Do you know what I mean? It's for the passion of it. So when I got asked to come along and do this, it was to actually give something back to the people and I do it on a daily basis with busking. I don't know what problems that you know, everyday people have had. I don't know how long that problem has been going on for. So to have them smiling while I'm singing a song and they're enjoying themselves, I've done my job at the end of the day. It doesn't matter what they put in my hat, um, you know. So um, if I can give something back in music, then I'm doing my job. I'm, I'm, I'm going home with uh, happiness in my heart, basically. That's great. And, and so too, they, I mean, they must be really keen. You've already got people sat down. And yeah. I say, we've probably still got 20 minutes to go. Well, <laughs> it was on the first couple of weeks we would come in here and have a little rehearsal and a little practice. Yeah. People started noticing. Then one day we had two and three people in. We had four in. And then now it's starting to grow. And, and hopefully it's going to grow more. The kind of target that I'm heading for is, you know, maybe within the next couple of months or even a year. And I have obviously um, said to Anna about this um, that I wouldn't actually mind getting a choir together so then it's helping me build that process um, even though I do vocal coaching but it helps me and it helps other people and it helps their confidence come out you know so absolutely let's open that door yeah. absolutely and and when you busk when you perform outside I, I would guess generally speaking you don't necessarily have people en masse singing back at you but here this is the thing you will have the biggest backing vocals presumably absolutely know. i don't need a band anymore all i need <laughs> is the backing tracks you know and the backing vocals so yeah that's that's definitely i mean the thing is is obviously people will find the certain tones where they'll, they'll they'll not really want to sing out but when they're next to another person that's either above them or below them their voice is going to come up to a level and just shine through so yeah i've got all the backing all the backing vocals i need anna scott and the good people of Cafe M and Singing for the Soul. You're listening to the One Voice Podcast. Hi, One Voice listeners. It's Matt Forsyth here from the Northampton Methodist District. And I want to share with you something that's quite exciting, but indeed comes with maybe a slight trigger warning too, because you might have begun to see the mince pies arrive on the supermarket shelves or indeed seeing the baubles and the tinsel and those are telltale signs for one season and one season alone isn't it yes christmas is fast approaching and then it's going to be beginning very very soon but you see out of our ordinary acts in our ordinary lives the world transformed extraordinary love of god can shine through so you see, the invitation is there for us as we approach Advent to begin to see how we might scratch beneath the surface this Christmas and to see God's love shine through, not just into our own lives, but into the lives of our local community and indeed our circuits and even further afield around the world. 
What's really exciting is that the out of the ordinary resources in which the Methodist Church have put together this year are all available now to download and to order for free right now. So I really want to encourage you to go and click the link in the description of this podcast to go ahead and find all the details for the out of the ordinary Christmas resources that are set out by the Methodist Church. They truly are something of encouragement and inspiration. I can't wait to see how we might have a truly out of the ordinary Advent and Christmas season. God bless and look forward to hearing all those stories that are still to come. Bless you and I'll speak to you soon. Our district mission enabler there, Matt Forsyth. And as Matt says, please find the link to that in the description field of this episode. Time to have a look at some events in various diaries and a quick word about this coming Sunday service at Earthlingborough Methodist Church. The community enabler Andrew Creamer will be streamed live on the YouTube channel if you can't make it in person. It's Sunday, that's the 15th of October at Earthlingborough Methodist Church and you can subscribe to their YouTube channel at nenvalleymethodists.com so that initial part is all one word nenvalleymethodists.com now you will i'm sure be familiar with the wonderful work of street pastors well the northampton street pastors are marking 15 years it's incredible i know 15 years of their work and a service to celebrate that and a chance for you to hear more, see more about their work and give donations is being held at Great Billing Chapel. That's on Sunday the 22nd of October at 3pm. And from the Oxford Circuit, two items to take note of on Tuesday the 17th of October. Both of these are on that one day. And this is at Wesley Memorial Methodist Church. Creative Crafts is at 10am and then at 2pm it is the weekly drop-in. That's 10 and 2 for those two on the 17th of October at the Wesley Memorial Methodist Church. So to our next two conversations, which have, I think, an unforeseen and unplanned relationship with each other. Both have this sense of revival flowing through them, but in quite different ways. You're going to meet two members of the Presbyterian Church in Cameroon who recently came to the Northampton district but first how a sabbatical made an author of my next guest the Reverend Leslie Newton this is one voice so Leslie revivers again rejuvenating a movement of transformation is the title of your book and and you were very specific weren't you in using the word rejuvenate why well, I was because I was just playing with various options which are around, which have the same kind of sentiment, you know, reawaken or revitalize. But then when I, I looked at the word rejuvenate and saw its roots, or at least one of its roots, is about uh, restoring to youthful vigor, making fresh or new again. And then there's a root in physical geography about restoring a river to a condition characteristic of a younger landscape. And I think it was that last phrase that really just took a bit of a hold of me. And I thought, oh yeah, that's what I'm after. Uh, restoring us to a condition characteristic 
of our younger landscape, and uh, I was quite attracted to that notion. <laughs> yeah, well, I can see why it's quite something, Leslie, it really is. Now, your sabbatical was very much a catalyst for this, wasn't it? Just talk us through what you explored and why you wanted to, to do that. Well, I've been a Methodist all my life, and so I've done a fair bit of just living within Methodism and the, and the church and know some of its history, and yet uh, I came to the sabbatical thinking it would be really interesting, and I felt really you know, called uh, to just take longer and, and study a bit deeper uh, the roots and the founding story and the origin story of of how John Wesley uh, had that, uh, you know, that, that kickstart, if you like, in his relationship with God, which enabled him to uh, really do extraordinary things around the country and to mobilize a movement, a movement of the grassroots which was very contextual locally and yet had a lot of common themes and connection as well. And uh, so I, I I just started to dig into that and then and then it started to dig into me, I think. <laughs> so, so they were uh, ensconced in teachings and initiatives from the 18th century. Well, I mean, d did it uh, take much settling into Leslie or to, to, or kind of to find the headspace to grapple with some of the, the concepts, language to some degree, or, or were you naturally very comfortable with it anyway? Um, I, I didn't find that altogether a, a great problem. I suppose in, in a sense what I was doing was reading some uh, more uh, contemporary books which themselves have looked back to the 18th century and uh, drawn their own conclusions, and I was uh, working with those and, uh, and, and trying, to, to, trying to fashion my own thinking along that that line so uh, so that wasn't particularly problematic what mm. struck me really quite early was um, you know that we we look back and think the 18th century is a completely different world and yet actually the the context of the society and the needs of society were perhaps uncomfortably similar to what we're finding in the 21st century so that that sense of parallel and, and therefore the opportunity for us to look back to the 18th century to discover something about how we could be in the 21st century started to strike me quite forcibly. The, the title of the book says it, at the very crux is this notion of revival. Are, are we guilty, do you think, of trying to conjure up new ideas, all these fizzing schemes to bring people back into church when in fact the answers were already there from 300 plus years ago? Well, yes, I think I think there's maybe various answers. I think, and I say this in the book, and any criticism that I love at Methodism, I'm loving it myself. You know, I've been part of it all my life. I've been in ministry uh, as a Methodist minister for 26 years now. Uh, but there is a danger, I think, that we've uh, settled for initiative-itis. You know, one initiative, thinking the next good idea is going to be that thing that that gets the show back on the road or or, or enables us to really flourish and you know uh, that's that's not to write off anything that we've tried to do or to be critical about things that we're seeking to do now but actually i think you're right that when we when we make that prayer revive us again which uh, is in a wesley hymn and it, and he's referencing psalm the psalms as he says that what what we're asking is for god to renew us and god to give us a, a fresh love and grace uh, and for his empowering to be the catalyst for all that we want to be. Uh, you know, in a sense, the answer is never going to be us just trying a bit harder. 
it's always going to be about God's spirit doing a new thing amongst us. So, Leslie, if you have achieved, let's say, even more focus, even more clarity um, around this subject, to, to what extent uh, is that on ambiguity, I guess, yet to materialise in congregations? And, and do you think it can be fixed? Can it be fixed? <laughs> God is God. <laughs> you know, and I, I suppose my answer to that is I believe that God still has a heart's desire for Methodism to be what it what it was when it was formed in that sense of being a movement of spiritual, social transformation. Uh, which is releasing grace into our lives and grace into the world, and grace transforms everything. So, can, can, was it was it? Can it be fixed? I think you were mirroring my phrase as well. When you can it be fixed? It it, it can if we're open to that, you know. And if we, uh, that's always got to be the first thing. I think are we are we going to be open to the renewing of God's grace? And if we are, then as I tried to explore in the book then I think there's lots of clues from our origin story about what our future story could look like as this hugely diverse movement, very contextual in local communities, all sorts of different people offering all sorts of different mission and ministry in ways that reach folk who were not currently reaching with the love of God and bring transformation. All of that lies before us as possibility if we're open to the renewing power of God. And the mechanics, the mechanics of the writing uh, itself, how did you find your writing voice, your style that could sit quite comfortably alongside some of these Wesleyan principles and, and how you were almost bringing them up, up to date? Yes, well, I, I gradually, through the three-month sabbatical, just wrote and wrote and, mm -hmm. and, and, and uh, produced stuff. And that... I wasn't particularly at that point thinking, oh, I'll manage to write a book at the end of it because I didn't think I probably would. Uh, but what I did was create a, a study morning, which I ran twice within the district. And some folks thought at that point, though, that there's a book in here somewhere. <laughs> and uh, this was long after sabbatical. Um, and I wondered about that. But then I, I was really fortunate to find um, a, a coach who offers support to people who want to write a book. And I'm indebted to him and the way in which he was able to coach me and others to say, right, we can get this book out and to actually put, you know, staging posts along the way. And then uh, for them to be able to take hold of it and fashion it into the book as it is now. So it's been quite a, a long journey, but I'm, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to get it out of my system as it were, maybe. <laughs> uh, did it bring you closer to Wesley and make you feel somehow uh, at one, you know, simpatico with him? Um, in a, I'm no Wesley, you know. I I look at him and think, what what an amazing person he was. It's so multifaceted, complicated. Uh, I'm I'm no Wesley, but uh, I suppose what I hope is I could I, I I hope that I've had some integrity in drawing some of the things that he was able to see as he fashioned a movement, uh, and to see how they could help to renew us as a movement. You know, there's the there's the almost inevitable are we a movement or are we an institution question which isn't just a methodist thing but it's any movement that's that, that gradually becomes an institution and it's our it's our pressing 
uh, thing as well to try and work out quite who we are. Um, but but if we can renew that sense of movement, then all sorts of things become more possible, I think, for God in our midst. And the renewed why that uh, you seek to ascertain in, in the book, is it is it different to what you thought it, it might be? Did it take you off in unexpected direction? Um, I, I guess... I guess the I guess the challenge that you know came back to me was again as a as a Methodist from cradle who loves the Methodist Church. We've just got to be ever so careful that this whole endeavour about asking God to revive us is so that we just can't so that we just don't end up feeling um, better or, or or that we've got larger congregations or that we're we're okay for the next hundred years or something. I, you know, the renewing of the church, as well vastly understood it as I understand it, was so that the so that the church was renewing society <laughs> uh, and so it's about giving ourselves away you know and, and that that's the secret um ingredient in all of this we're not just i'm not just about renewing the church so that we feel a bit better but actually we're renewing the church so that we can be giving ourselves away more powerfully mm. um for the sake of the world this is full transformation rather than a temporary shot in the arm, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, would, very, very would be my sort of fairly uh, rudimentary yeah. grasp on that. Yeah. And and uh, the, the book, as we've said, it, you know, it's available. It's out there now. It's in the the wide world, as it were. Ha- has the process or the end result, or both indeed, changed how you worship Leslie or, or view God? I think it's it's focused my sense of all a little bit you know I, I'm a district chair and I have roles and responsibilities to fulfill in that and yet I think it's clarified my heart and certainly warned my heart about the possible future that could be ours with the blessing and grace of God and it and it's made me more determined more urgent I, I think in seeking to try and explore that and find ways in which we can live into that that future which I believe could be ours well, I uh, commend you on this uh, amazing process, and um, and I do hope that sincerely that, that everybody who listens to this is able to to purchase your book and uh, to to get something out of it because Revivers again is available from Amazon. Uh, Leslie Newton, thank you very much. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Now, touring the Northampton district, meeting some of the people who worship in that district, and. Talking with the key decision makers were just a few of the items on the agenda of my next guests. It's time for a stop off at Helen Cameron's manse to meet two pivotal members of the Cameroon Presbyterian Church and to hear some of their thoughts and plans. I am uh, the Right Reverend Funky Samuel Forba, the moderator of the Presbyterian Church in Cameroon and also the president of the Council of Protestant Churches in Cameroon. I am the Reverend Miki Hansabia. I am the Synod Clerk of the Presbyterian Church in Cameroon. Yeah, as moderator, I'm uh, the constitutional and administrative head of the church. And so uh, my day is characterized by a lot of listening to people, a lot of decisions making, a lot of meetings and committees, and a lot of reflections on the way forward of the church. Uh, my day actually begins at 7.30, and then we have devotion, and after that, the work begins till about 3.30 p.m. But with the nature of my work, most often 
my latest time to leave the office is 5 p.m. Yeah. Apart from the day-to-day chores, I'm also responsible for the Protestant churches in Cameroon, listening to their leaders, uh, entertaining their problems within their churches, and also planning general assemblies for all the heads of churches of the Protestant family, and also trying to relate the Presbyterian Church in Cameroon to the international world. So it's uh, such a huge task, and um, we just thank God that up to this point, he has been our God. I am like deputy to the moderator who has just spoken. Uh, but basically, my role is um, to manage decisions of the church, to take um, decisions of the church and make sure they reach their destination and try to see that those decisions are implemented, especially senior decisions and senior related committees of the church. Secondly, my basic role is to supervise the personnel of the entire church, both the clergy and the laity. Of course, we know that everything revolves around personnel, so it is um, an adverse task to manage the personnel because the Presbyterian Church in Cameroon has a huge workforce, so my role is to take care of all that. So if the moderator talks of sitting and listening and taking lots of decisions, my role is to stay with him and see that those decisions are minuted, those decisions are passed over, and those decisions are implemented. I'm, I'm glad you came to the, the huge... We can see why he's my boss. He's shaking his head, but you, there's no denial, is there? There's no, there's no out-and-out denial. <laughs> I'm so glad you used the word huge workforce because that, that links into what I was going to ask you next. The church in Cameroon is this remarkable body, if you like, this entity that runs hospitals, all manner of schools, primary, secondary, nursery, uh, a college and a centre for agricultural and employment training. Now, this says certainly to me that the church permeates so much of life in Cameroon. How far do you think that's reflected in the way that it's seen by people and how communities worship them? To begin with, uh, the Presbyterian Church is among the 10 highest employers in Cameroon. And so this is not like it's right to say we have a huge workforce uh, in all these domains you have uh, stated. And um, our work is focused and directed to the human person, holistic living of the, the entire human person. And we try as much as possible to meet the physical and spiritual needs of our Christian and even the intellectual needs. And that's why we run schools, uh, we have hospitals, and then we have congregations where all of this is taken care of. So it's a kind of holistic approach to ministry. So our hospitals, our schools, our vocational training centers, and our congregations are there to see how we, we can morally and ethically bring up responsible Cameroonians and fit them into society 
so that they could be able to be agents of transformation in the areas of corruption, in the areas of injustice, in the area of gender justice, and in the area of uh, uh, quality healthcare provision. So all of this is the role of the church to do things outside the confines of the church house so that we send forth our Christians with a moral obligation to see how they can transform our different communities for the good of the kingdom. So it's a huge responsibility for the church to have that realized and uh, we try as much as possible as one of the largest Protestant churches in Cameroon that is everywhere in the country, in Europe, in America, in South Africa and other parts of the world to be able to continue to carry on practical uh, Christianity that is not just by words but in action to meet up with the needs of the people. Of course, the church in Cameroon stands as a hope of the hopeless and a place for the lonely, a place for the downtrodden, a place for the hungry, a place for the poor. And so we take this group of people, we empower them and send them forth into the world. Uh, like in the area of gender, we empower the women, we empower the youths and send them forth into the world. And so it transforms their personalities and the way they see life. And now the gospel makes meaning when all of that is placed in the hands of the Christians and those who are not even Christians, non-Christians, so that the role of the church does not just end with the Bible, but it goes beyond the Bible to give life in abundance to people. And that sort of, as you say, holistic approach, that invigorating mission, does that mean then that that, that loyalty kind of comes back to the church because you're reaching people that perhaps ordinarily may not have engaged with the church? Yeah, we do not do that for people to bring back their loyalty to the church, but we do that in order to give Christ to each of them so that whether they go or they come back, Christ should rule their lives and those values should accompany them wherever they are and make them worthy citizens of our nation. Even if they don't come back to us, they go to other denominations, they will carry those values there and continue to glorify God for what the church is doing in their lives. There are probably many people, perhaps most people, that are listening to this that wouldn't have been to Cameroon. So how would you describe life in, in Cameroon, typical life, what are, what are the sort of the challenges for people there? How, how would you characterise it? As the moderator said, the church, Presbyterian Church in Cameroon, tries to build up the whole man, take care of our Christians, take care of Christians of other denominations and even non-Christians. And I think that has given the church a very profound place in society. Because of all this, the church continues to move on. The church continues to grow, and the church becomes very relevant in the life of um, our people. In doing this, the challenges are enormous. They're really enormous. At the moment, we are going through a lot of crisis as a church because of the crisis in Cameroon. Mm -hmm. And that alone has depleted our resources and made life difficult for the church. 
because the church relies on the pockets of its Christians to survive. And the church also relies on the good economy of the state. But all of this has been destroyed by the crisis. And so the church still has a role to be humanitarian oriented. Yet when these suffering masses turn to the church and the church has very little or nothing to do with their situations, it becomes very challenging for the church to cope with such glaring situations where the role of the church is compromised because of the poverty situation in which we find ourselves. And so it's a huge challenge for us. But the good thing you might need to know is that these challenges are overcome every day. We just find ourselves sailing from one problem successfully to the other, helping to sort out those miserable situations and with people from one to another, still visiting the refugees, the internally displaced, and, and also the sick in our hospitals and children who cannot pay fees will take care of that and all of that. And um, just one little secret, just to let you know that the Methodist Church has walked this journey with us from the day we started this crisis in 2016 and have supported us in a lot of humanitarian activities. We have a series of orphans and displaced children that are being sponsored in school by the Methodist Church. So it has helped us and the Methodist Church has worked in conversation with us under these circumstances and they have helped a lot to galvanize the role of the church as the hope of the hopeless. And your visit um, today over this weekend to the district, the Northampton Methodist uh, District, what have been your impressions then? What have you thought so far? What's kind of caught your eye or your imagination? Well, since it's the first time of the snorkel here, maybe you have more imaginations than me. <laughs> the exact same question then. <laughs> well, thank you. My experiences from the day we arrived, they were received, talking especially with um, the district chair of Northampton, it gives us a lot of hope um, that the church is one. What the moderator said about the Methodist church having done so much for the Presbyterian church in Cameroon, I think it's time, as he says, to put these things more concretely so that such a relationship will continue for the long future. But as I say, my impressions uh, for these few days are very bright and we continue to expect more as because the visit is not ended at the end of it i know we'll go back with something very very concrete about this relationship i want to state clearly and let you know that uh, the presbyterian church is already enjoying a wonderful partnership at the level of the headquarters of the methodist church and at the level of the headquarters of the pcc the presbyterian church in cameroon but now we want to deepen this relationship and have direct partnership with districts here in the Methodist Church in Britain and districts in the Presbyterian Church in Cameroon. So we've come for that kind of negotiation 
to see how Northampton can partner with the PCC in that direction. And our expectations are very high. This afternoon we had a meeting with young pastors and uh, the district chair is already assuring us that that will be the first group that will visit Cameroon to experience how pastors and especially young pastors begin ministry in Cameroon. And that is the kind of thing I look forward to in this relationship where we intervisit each other and have exchanges in our worship style, in our theological formation, and also to better our understanding of the worship life mm -hmm. and ways of each uh, church. And um, the next thing is I also want a situation where the women's movement in my church will learn something from the women's movement here and vice versa, the youth movement as well. Mm -hmm. And we also want a situation where we can send missionaries, we can be proud now to send missionaries to the church in the UK, mm -hmm. our pastors here, to serve in the Methodist church in the UK and also to grow God's church here because we are realizing that um, the personnel flow of pastors in the Methodist Church are dwindling and there are some um, local parishes and circuits that some pastors in the Methodist Church will not want to go there. So our pastors can manage those circuits and grow them back to at an admirable state where the pastors of UK will want to go there yes. again. Yeah, that's the kind of thing. And we also want to have situations where theologians of the Methodist Church can come teach in our seminary and have an experience and feel of what theological education means in an African seminary. Uh, in that way, we'll exchange our worldview, our thought forms, and our values in interpreting the Bible in a more profound manner. So these are some of the things that are going through my mind and how I think it should look like in the future. So that in the end, we're born and we'll become one family, so to speak, black and whites together at the foot of Jesus' cross. It's interesting you, you talk about worship styles and a dialogue going on between you both because Methodism here, like so many churches in mm -hmm. England and the UK, mm -hmm. is, is kind of looking over its shoulder at falling numbers, dwindling numbers. Are there any words of, of wisdom or encouragement, things that you would say to, you know, to kind of keep on press on and, and hopefully turn that around? I am very optimistic that if we start exchanging our pastors, especially from Cameroon to work in the Methodist Church, they will see a new dawn of full congregations they will see a new dawn of how worship can attract Christians to church they will see a new dawn of how the worship life of an African pastor can influence and impact the Christians in the UK to have a kind of transformation in their worship lives so I think it, it can happen it can happen and I think that uh, um, to say the least, we have allowed ourselves in the West to be over-civilized by what we call civilization. And the tendency here is that people think that they don't need God anymore and that they can do without God, which is very unfortunate. 
And so when they are born and after their confirmation, they keep God aside. When they are grown-ups and they found, find the love of their lives, or they come back and pick God where God was and ask blessings for their marriage. And after that, they keep God where he was and go for life. When they have a child, they come and give God for the baptism. Mm -hmm. And then after that, they come for confirmation and then they abandon everything at that stage. Until they are 70, then they start looking at the road to the church again. Where was I? When did we have this? And then they go back to church at that age. And at that age, they are unable even to clap their hands to the glory of God. They are unable to sing. They are even unable to sit and do practical work for God. But that is a kind of thing we need to change, beginning with our children, so that church life and church activity should flow through your life, not only at certain portions of your life. If that kind of mentality and worldview is taken away, where people think um, they don't need God, then you help us to stabilize the church here in the UK. Very insightful and wonderful thoughts. I did, just <coughs> one thing, I'd, last thing I'd like to put to you two both to get your individual uh, assessment on. Let's imagine a, the return or one of the return visits, so those from here go, coming to Cameroon. What would you be keen to show them uh, and why? We will be keen to of course have them in our midst. We would like them to have the practical experience by taking them to some of our congregations. As the moderator said already to our seminary, show them part of our curriculum and how things are done then. We would like to, and of course, take them to our diaconal services, to our hospitals, let them spend some time and see how work is done there to our um, other institutions. I think with that, when they come and see and touch and taste things for themselves, you know, their worldview will change, and I think that will have an impact in their lives. What do you think would give somebody a real sense of the the essence, the spirit of, of Cameroon? Whatever group comes, if they are men, women, children, pastors, or youths and then pastors, I'll drop them into the same different groups back in Cameroon and just let them flow. Mm. I'll drop the youths among the youths. I'll drop the women among the women's group. I'll drop the men among the men's group. I'll drop the pastors among the pastors. By the time they flow with those groups, just for one day, they will sit in their hotel rooms and shed tears. They will tell themselves, we are just wasting our time. Of course, this does not mean that they are spirit-filled Christians in the Methodist Church. Of course, there are a lot of them, even pastors who are spirit-filled. I'm not going against that, and I respect them for that. But the point is point of commitment of the greater population of Methodists and of Christians in all of the UK. A few of them are committed, and that is why I gave you a clear picture that the commitment comes when they are on their way out of this world. That's when they come back and they are so committed. But the best part of their lives that would have been given to Christ and committed to Christ, they give it to themselves 
and to other opportunities that the world offers. But they come back to God when they are feeble, they, they cannot do much, which is very wrong. But I will fit them in those communities, in those groups where they see vibrant youths dying for Christ, giving up their jobs and giving up a lot of things for the sake of the gospel. In that way, by the time they reach here, they'll think differently, they'll act differently. So I always want that the groups that are coming to Cameroon should have more youths and more pastors who can see what is happening and then pastor the communities here and transform them. And the youths, you know, the youths are catalysts who can transform their friends and take the computers and phones from them and put the Bibles in their hands. In that way, the community will change its mentality and be transformed for Christ. Our thanks to the Right Reverend Funky Samuel Forber and the Reverend Mickey Hans Abia, and of course to Helen Cameron for letting us record in her manse. It's almost time to end, just to say that matt.forsyth at northamptonmethodistdistrict.org.uk is a very useful email to keep handy. That's matt.forsyth at northamptonmethodistdistrict.org.uk. If you need any kind of publicity for that next church event, send it to Matt and he can make sure that it gets to us at the podcast. Until next time, look after yourself. Stories, community and what brings us together.